Well, good morning, everybody. We are glad that you're with us, joining us uh, from wherever you happen to be this morning for this third Sunday of Advent here at Living Hope Community Church. Uh, My name is Pastor Rich. I get to be the pastor here, and it's my joy to have you joining us today. Uh, We like to be in our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, you know that uh, right now, with the way everything is going, uh, we, need, we need words of joy. We need, we need reminded that you are with us, Emmanuel, God with us, where we live. What we're going through right now, God, is nothing, uh, well, it's not far from you. It's not like we have to scream out for you to, to, to try to get your attention. God, you are with us and you know us, and you love us, and we are so grateful, God. I pray that today you'd help us to to feel that, to be able to sense your closeness, to be able to sense your grace and your love that you give to each and every one of us. God, that we wouldn't feel that you are distant, but that we would know that you are close. God, when we we experience uh, the distance, when we experience the... uh, all the stuff that makes us want to lament and cry out to you as we've been talking about these past couple of weeks, when we're finding it, we're finding it hard to, to hold on to hope, when we're finding it hard to, to experience peace, God, help us to cry out to you. Help us to give voice to that, to turn to you, the God that in our heads we know that you love us. We know, uh, we celebrate every year at Christmas time that you loved us so much that you gave your son Jesus for us, that you came close to where we are, that you entered into our mess to make things right. We know this in our heads, God. I pray that today you would help us to experience it in our lives, in our hearts, in our, uh, in our thinking, in our feeling, in our doing, God, in all that we are, down to our bones, that we would know that you are with us, that you love us. God, we look forward to, to moments uh, where you bring us joy moments where uh, we just can't escape your love and your presence, where you speak so clearly to us, where you remind us that you are with us. Thank you, God. May today be one of those moments for some of us. May this service be one of those moments as we, as we sing to you, uh, as we listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, uh, as Pastor Judy brings the message in just a few minutes. God, we We pray that this might be one of those moments for us today where we get to connect with you and experience this joy that you bring. Thank you, God. Thank you. We pray all this confident in your love, confident in your presence because of Jesus. So we offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, normally, if we were all in the room together, you know, we'd be greeting each other and extending that peace to each other. But, but first, I've got a couple of announcements, things I needed to let you know about. Let's see. Those are up here, I think. Uh, if you'd like to let us know that you're with us today, you can click on that little uh, livinghope.info slash connect. You might have to type it in or depending on if you're, if you're watching this on that little church center app, you can, you can just click the connect link or if you're watching it at uh, livinghope.info slash live, there's a little link right there. If you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, you might have to type something in. We're never able to add those links until later, it seems. So uh, anyway, that lets us know that you're with us. Obviously, you can 
chime in in the comments, but it also gives you a private way to share a prayer request with us if there's something going on in your life, and many of you take advantage of this. Thank you so much for inviting us to join you in prayer, uh, for inviting us to, uh, to pray alongside you and um, to reach out to God with you. Um, we are together in this. So, um, so feel free to do that. Also, you can, uh, you can give online. Um, many of you are doing that. Most of you are doing that. There's a handful of you that are still like mailing checks or things like that. But uh, thank you to all of you who give so generously to continue the work that our church is doing here and around the world. One thing that you can do that we always remind you of in the month of December, uh, normally we put a tree out in the foyer. We can't do that. Uh, so we put a tree on your screen to remind you that you can keep a home warm this Christmas. You can go to that livinghope.info slash give and click on the good neighbor fund. Uh, the good neighbor, good neighbor offering, good neighbor fund, whatever it says, good neighbor, it'll say on there. And uh, any dollars you give to that will go straight to First Contact. It's a Christian resource and referral ministry here in Porter County. They've got offices in Valpo and Portage and I forget where the other one is, Chesterton or someplace. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, they work with trustees. They work with several churches to combine resources so that people who find themselves in need don't have to, like, go bang on the doors of all the different churches where people aren't right now, and they can just go to one spot. Uh, so... If you have the, uh, the opportunity to do that, that would be a beautiful thing. Uh, again, just go to livinghope.info slash give and, uh, and click on the good neighbor offering. You can, you can do that. Um, let's see. I feel like there was something else. What was the other thing I was going to say that's in there? Uh, what's on the screen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're in the middle of this uh, Advent season with this uh, devotional book. Many of you have told us that you really appreciate this, Let Earth Receive Her King. If you didn't get one of those, please let us know so we can have Amazon drop one on your door in a couple of days. Uh, we're halfway through the, the Advent season right now, but there's still two weeks to go, and uh, we would love for you to be able to join us in the daily readings, not just in the, in the, um, in the Sunday services. So if you'd like to do that, you can. Um, so it's time for us. Uh, we, one of the things that we did, for those of you who are regular attenders, um, we gave you uh, that Advent book, and we gave you some little candles and a little printout, like you can see on your screen, of a little wreath, uh, just so that you can connect with us a little bit on Sundays, and you can know that you're with us. Uh, and so it's time right now for us to, uh, to light today's candle, and uh, we've got a little responsive reading if you'd like to join us in that. We light these candles as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent means coming. We're preparing for the full coming of Christ. We are ready for Christ to come and make all things new. The third candle is a symbol of joy. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When the Lord brought, us, brought back the captives to Zion, we were like people who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping will return with songs of joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice, for the Lord is near. We are preparing for the joy of the Lord to be made complete in us. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are ready for you to come and make all things new. All right. Thank you for engaging with that and with us this morning. Um, pastor Judy Engel is our new uh, associate pastor. She's been with us for 
a month or so-ish, something like that. And so uh, she's going to be sharing the message with us today on this theme of joy. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Good morning. It really is a privilege to be here. Um, I have looked forward with great anticipation to being here this morning and sharing with you. Um, this morning, as I was preparing for this, this message, I'll be honest, I don't know that I would have chosen this particular passage, but as we've been going through our Advent devotional, um, we had some, we have some resources at pastors, as pastors available to us, and so as I was looking through, through those, I thought, this really is a great illustration of the kind of joy that Christ has in store for us, that God has in store for us. So this week, we are, as we know, looking at the third week of Advent, the Joy Week, and we've lit the joy candle together this morning, and we've been following along in the devotional, and so we know this was going to be our topic. It, it wasn't a big surprise, but when we think of joy and what the Bible says about it, often verses that come to mind are things like James 1-2. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, or the, pastor, the passage Pastor Rich used during Thanksgiving season, 1 Thessalonians 5-16-18, always be joyful. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. These two examples, though they're fantastic examples of what it means to be joyful and to have joy, don't really capture the essence of the Advent joy we're looking at this morning. So let's take a look at this morning's passage. It's found in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been destroyed for many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering, and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are people the Lord has blessed. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for a wedding or a bride with her jewels, the Sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. The word of the Lord. Joy is often interpreted this time of year as, as kind of a holly jolly Christmas sort of a thing. If you look at Facebook, 
Instagram, Pinterest, and Snapchat, and whatever else, whatever platform you choose to use, there's a lot of people, photos of people and places that really look joyful. I, I know I'm, I'm just as guilty. I, I've put things on Facebook and, and in my Instagram that um, portray a certain level of joy in this season, okay? Um, when we go into the stores, we're hearing upbeat songs about Christmas. They're on the radio. They're, they're pretty much everywhere. I, I even, last night, my husband and I even watched a couple of classic Christmas television specials. Um, not necessarily religious television specials, but Christmas specials and things that brought us back to our childhood. Lights and tinsels are placed on every available surface, in and out of our homes. You know, my, my daughter teases me <laughs> that when we decorate for Christmas, it looks like Christmas threw up at our house. Well, it's, she's not too far off, to be honest. <laughs> but um, all of the glimmer and the shiny and the tinsel, it really can distract us from a harsh reality. And that's the fact that so many of us right now don't feel very holly jolly especially this year. <laughs> this has been a, a tough year for so many people. It's been a tough year for so many reasons. And the lights aren't quite bright enough to erase the pain of grief or the darkness of poverty, the loneliness of heartache, the stress of the bills or the job that we still have to go to or that we don't have. There's just not enough tinsel to cover up despair. And we might have logged on to or walked into this church this morning and saw the pink candle of joy and maybe rolled our eyes a little at the impossibility of it all, thinking joy just really isn't attainable for those of us living in darkness. Honestly, these are fair thoughts for a day like today and a text like this text. The people of God were lost in hopelessness and despair. They've returned to their homeland after being exiled in Babylon and waiting, they, if we remember from our devotional, I believe, they had to wait an extra 70 years after being promised to be returned. So they go back expecting to be back in their city of Jerusalem only to find that city in ruins. And they are grief-stricken at all that they've lost. Not only are they living in the midst of, hopeless, of a hopeless situation, and not only are they wondering where their peace went, but they're also wondering if there will ever be joy again. Yet in the world of pain and sorrow, the prophet Isaiah preaches words not just of hope, not just of peace, but words of joy. Good news for all who hear, the pain and sorrow they feel can and will be replaced with unspeakable joy. In this passage, it talks about the year of Jubilee, um, the year of God's favor, the year of, um, that he would do, restore. And what we might not be aware of in our modern context that the people of Israel did have knowledge of was the four primary economic codes that, that all of Israel was to live by. The first one was tithing. And we're familiar with tithing, you know, giving 10% of what we, what we make, but they gave 10% of what they made, raised, or grew 
and they put it into a storehouse. And this money was set aside to care for the priests and for the poor. You know, they didn't have all the agencies that we have. They didn't have the, the federal government like we do or the state government that helps the poor and the needy. So this was how they cared for people. The second one was the Sabbath. Again, we're fairly familiar. It's in the top 10 list, um, the, the Ten Commandments, for those who did, might, might not have got it. But it's that every seventh day would be set aside as a day of rest and worship. And then every seventh year is one for rest for the land and the animals. And we're familiar with the seventh day, but we aren't as familiar with the seventh year, the Sabbath year, where through that whole year, the people of Israel didn't plant, they didn't prune their vineyards, they, their, their beasts of burden or their, their working animals didn't work, their oxen, their donkeys, whatever they used to work their farms didn't work. They let it all go fallow and they let it all rest. Now, let's, I know reading this, I was like, well, how did they eat if, well, in, if you go in Leviticus 25, and we're not going to do that today, it's a, Leviticus is a long book with a lot of rules and guidelines. So, but in Leviticus 25, it's spelled out how they can provide for themselves in that seventh year by those first six years, God giving an abundance, and then they saved it up. And they actually got a, gave enough of an abundance that they saved up enough, not for just for that seventh year, but also into the eighth year until they could have the harvest at the end of the eight year, eighth year. God was very good to them in that. The third principle was gleaning. And this meant that farmers, when they would harvest their fields, wouldn't harvest the very edges or the corners. They kind of stay to the inside and, you know, and, and leave that little bit around the outside. And that way, the poor, the refugee and the traveler could come into the field, take what they needed and have food. Again, how they cared for the poor. Um, if you are familiar with the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, this is how Ruth and Naomi, upon returning to their, the land of their ancestors, were able to survive because Naomi sent Ruth out to glean in the fields, in Boaz's field specifically. That's a whole other sermon though. So, um, And then the fourth, the fourth principle was the year of Jubilee. After seven cycles of Sabbath years, that's 49 years. I know we didn't know we were gonna do math today, I, I'm sorry. That's 49 years and then one year, the 50th year, was to be set aside as the year of Jubilee. Now there were requirements for this year of Jubilee, and again, they're set out in Leviticus 25. The purpose of this year was to reset the entire economic system for Israel. Debts were to be forgiven, land was to be returned, and prisoners were set free from prison. The Bible records evidence that the children of God followed the first three economic laws. In fact, if we look in the New Testament, this is just a little sidebar, you know, in a, if you're ever in a trivia game and you need to know this, the first, probably not, the first two, the tithing and Sabbath, um, Jesus was critical even of the Pharisees of his time for observing them so rigidly and yet not caring for the poor, if we remember. But um, <clears throat> they, they were good about following the first three principles, but we don't have any recorded proof that the nation of Israel ever observed a year of Jubilee. 
And Isaiah tells us that it's also called the years of, year of God's favor, of the Lord's favor. And imagine what good news it would be to experience a year of jubilee. Just one year, just one time in our lifetime would be amazing. Your debts would be forgiven. I don't know about you, but not having a mortgage payment or school loans, <laughs> I don't have school loans anymore, but uh, school loans, uh, car payment, credit card payments, what, you know, whatever it is, man, that would be awesome to just have them all wiped clean. I know there's a lot of controversy right now about that very topic. We're not going to talk about it here, though, in this context. But, um, but all your debts would be wiped free. Imagine how nice it would feel to not have that phone call come in knowing on the other end was a debt collector. Or bumping into the family member that loaned you money and you know you got to pay him back, but you're just not able to right now. And your stomach just gets into knots and it makes everything kind of awkward. <laughs> that money would be freed up to do so many things. And, you know, I think, man, what I couldn't do with that money, what I couldn't give to the church and to the work of the kingdom but it's tied up in other things. Also, land would be returned to you. Now, in that day and age, land ownership was crucial. It meant security because that's how you fed your family. That's how you raised food and, and raised animals, and that's how you survived. But it also was your identity. Owning land was, was a family thing, and when you lost your land... You lost your connection to your family. So having that land returned to you reconnected you to your ancestors. And we don't think about that really so much because that's not how we operate in our context. But it was crucial for them. And then you'd be released from prison. <clears throat> Back then, and really not too long ago even in our culture, in, in the U.S. and in Europe, People would be imprisoned because they owed a debt. Well, if your debts are wiped clean, there's really no reason for you to be in prison anymore. So the um, prisons would be emptied. People would be sent home. And therefore, debt forgiveness meant release from captivity for, for many. And it offered an opportunity to start all over. Like I said, the year of Jubilee was a way to restart, set the reset button. You know, kind of like resetting or restarting on your computer. But the year of Jubilee meant a year of grace, hope, and tremendous joy for everyone. But as the people returned with this promise of a year of Jubilee back to Jerusalem, all they could see was the hopelessness of what they had lost, of trampled gardens and burned homes and and. Yet God was going to transform that into joy. That was his plan. Jubilee, the, the root word in that, is part of the word that for joy. They're all intermixed together in, in the language. The ashes of this place were going to be fertile ground in which new life was going to be born. A crown would, re, would replace the ashes. This was their place to start over. It was a chance to, like I said, press the reset button, start from scratch, and level the playing field. It gave them the opportunity to become the people God had called them to be. They will be called oaks of righteousness. That means that they were going to become a righteous 
and justice-loving people. The sins and mistakes of their past can be left behind in the rubble, and they can start all brand new. It says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Jerusalem hadn't just recently been destroyed. It was destroyed as they were taken into captivity. And it had been a long time. You know, if you ever see pictures on the internet of places that have been abandoned, I know there's a church in Gary that I have seen that hasn't been used for generations. And there's wildlife, you know, plants and trees growing up through it. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, a wall fell down. Or, you know, there was, there was maybe some weeds growing along. It, it had completely been overrun by nature. It was completely destroyed. Had it gone much longer, there's, who knows how much of it would have even been recognizable as a city. <clears throat> but it says that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So not only would they rebuild their cities, but God would rebuild their lives into what he had intended all along. It was never God's intention for his people to be in exile. It had always been his intention that they would be faithful as he was faithful to them. So in this process, the children of God were called to participate in the joyful renewal that he was enacting in the world. Even though it was ultimately God who was bringing about the healing and the hope and the joy, it's clear humanity is involved and invited to participate in this work. In verse 3, as it talks about their righteousness, which implies that they will participate in right actions, living out God's justice in the world. They would, be, they would not be passive recipients of God's righteousness, but instead active participants. Verse 4 says they will rebuild and they will renew. The people of God were actively joining God's restoration work. It wasn't going to magically happen. You know, there was no magic wand that was going to be waved to restore the city. They had to do the work. They had to pick up the tools and gather the materials and use those tools and materials to complete this work of restoration that God had promised them. The people of God were called to do the work of God in restoring the city. Verse 8 talks about how God hates injustice. The implication is that the people of God will act in just ways. We've seen unrighteousness and injustice in our world as of late, have we not? We've also seen righteousness and justice, sometimes even from places we don't expect it. Some of the ways we've seen justice and righteousness being enacted in the world are very much like the ways that God is going to bring about the year of Jubilee, which will include good news for the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, freedom from captivity, release from darkness and comfort for those who are grieving. These are all active ways that, is, that God is going to usher in Jubilee. But the people of God were called and still are called to enact these things in the world in partnership with God. The work of Jubilee is a cooperative work between God and his people. And we can see holiness lived out in the ways that God and the people of God 
work together to serve and stand up for those who our world marginalizes, bringing about the kingdom of God on earth. As we see here in this passage today, joy is not about circumstances. You know, we see the dire circumstances. We see the destruction, no, not physically, literally, but it talks about the, the absolute destruction of Jerusalem and the despair and hopelessness that, that the Israelites felt. And perhaps you're living through a circumstance right now that makes you feel the same way that has you in that same state of mind of despair and hopelessness. But joy ultimately is not about those circumstances. It is about the hope of what God is going to do and the fruit of God and the people of God working together in the world. We might find ourselves in the worst of circumstances, yet still have deep abiding joy based on the hope that we have in the faithfulness of God. We don't know for sure whether Israel ever observed a year of jubilee. Whether they did or didn't, their calling to celebrate jubilee didn't change. Regardless of Israel's faithfulness or the lack thereof, God remains, still today even, faithful and good. And despite their disobedience, God still will usher in jubilee. Their land was destroyed, and we likely will never come home from exile. Sorry, there's a period in there. Let me start that sentence back. Their land was destroyed. We likely will never come home from exile to find our entire city laid waste, destroyed, unless we're experiencing kind of post-apocalyptic, well, that's for a TV shows, so we won't worry about that, but there are still places in our lives that feel like that. They feel like they've been laid waste. We feel like there is no hope in whatever that circumstance is. We may feel like our futures are desolate, yet God is at work to transform them into a thing of beauty. The truth of this, however, doesn't negate the hardship of grief. A lot of us are grieving today for different reasons because of things that are lost, because of changes that we have no control over, because of, of things going on in the world that affect people that we love, people that we care for. Many of us are grieving. The, the fact of God's faithfulness and the, the year of his favor and the time of his favor doesn't negate the hardship of that. But what it does do is it redeems it into something of beauty eventually. This doesn't mean that God caused the hardship either. Let me be clear on that. God doesn't cause hardship. Hardship is reality because of the broken world that we live in. It just is. <clears throat> but God is able to and will take even the worst situations and bring something good out of them. Might not look like what we wanted, but he will bring good out of them. As resurrection people, people who know Jesus and believe in his resurrection and have called on that resurrection for the salvation of our sins, we also believe that God will ultimately take the worst parts of our lives, even death, and transform them into new life. And God is good despite our circumstances, no matter what. 
you know, it sounds a little trite, and we have little sayings that we might use in church, you know, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And yet it, it seems flippant, it seems trite, but the truth of it is God is good all the time. In our text, it talks about God's faithfulness in spite of the unfaithfulness of the people of God. Despite people putting them in situations that look dire and hopeless, sometimes we do that to ourselves. We make bad decisions. We make poor choices. And we put ourselves in situations that all we can do is cry out to God and say, God, I, I need you. God still will work those situations for good. He still will redeem them for our good. So working together with God, not only does it change our situation eventually, but it also brings about good news for the poor and joy in mourning. We can see examples of the way that working for justice and righteousness brings about joy in the world in very real ways. When a family is freed from the cycle of abuse, we see joy. When hungry people are fed, we see joy. When those who mourn know that they are not alone in their grief, there's joy. We, the church, people of God, followers of Jesus, we are called to be joy bringers in the world by joining the mission of God. And when we do, it shares hope and joy with a world that is often hopeless and filled with despair. Joining the mission of God, mission of God might include supporting organizations that are feeding, clothing, and housing the poor, either by giving your time or your resources. It might include becoming involved with agencies that are working to change legislation or policies that perpetuate the oppression of the weak and marginalized. Regardless of how you partner with the mission of God, you are working with him to bring hope and joy because we know that hopeless-seeming situations are never hopeless for the people of God. Despair can and does turn to joy. As we read in verse 3, it says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In the midst of our circumstances, regardless of how hard they are, God is at work. In the midst of our pain, God is at work. Even in the midst of our sin, God has not abandoned us, and he is at work. In a world that seeks to cover up pain with tinsel and lights and holly jolly Christmas, God seeks to transform that pain into glory and to grow life from ashes. We trust that during this Advent season that Christ came to bring about the kingdom of God in our world. And we have hope that Christ will come again and make all things right. We know the year of the Lord came with Jesus and is coming in fulfillment when he returns. We can have joy in that, if nothing else. We can look for the places that God is already at work, turning beauty into ashes, turning ashes into beauty. Sorry. <laughs> but this work of joy in the world is not one we simply watch and wait for, is it? It's one we participate in bringing about. We've already talked about that. I've already mentioned that. The ways that we can do that. 
to bring joy in a world full of despair. So that call, just like the call for the Israelites to partner with God, has not ended. The call for us has not ended either. We are called to be present with those who mourn, to bring light into darkness, to do the work of justice, to live in righteous ways that others may also see and know the joy of the Lord. This is great news for us, not just good news, this is great news for us today. There is unspeakable joy despite our circumstances, but it is good news for the world too, not just us, not just those who believe, not just those who follow Jesus. It is good news for everyone. So the challenge for us is that we may go into the world as bearers of joy, as rebuilders who care for our world, that we may share the good news of great joy that is for all people today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for being a God of great joy, for being a God who restores and redeems even our hardest circumstances. I thank you for being a God who is working in all things, even when we can't see it. Lord, this time of year can be so difficult for so many reasons, and this year seems so much more so than normal. But Lord, we know that we can trust you. We know that you are faithful. We know that you will never leave us or forsake us. You're not going to leave us in despair and in hopelessness. Lord, instead, you are going to bring joy. You're going to redeem and transform all that we experience and all that we hope for into ultimate joy. So, Lord, I pray that these words would go out from here, out over the Internet, Lord, out into the lives and the hearts of people, that they would hear your heart in these words, that they would hear your heart in my voice, Lord, and that they would know this joy and embrace this joy that can only, only come from you. And now join me, please, in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, thank you, Pastor Judy, for bringing, bringing the word to us today. Uh, if you have elements there at home, bread, juice, or the closest equivalent, we invite you to, uh, to get those ready. And we're going to pray, and we're going to celebrate before we go. Thank you, God. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, for the great love you've shown us in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and, and for your Holy Spirit that meets us here today, speaks to our hearts, uh, proclaims words of joy, of hope, of grace, of peace. God, today we, uh, we come to you because of Jesus Christ, because of the great gift of love that he is and that he made of himself as he offered his life for us to, to break the power of sin and death by his own death and resurrection. So God, we are happy to come to the table of our Lord Jesus today, happy to offer to you gifts of bread and juice, praying that as we come to your table that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior here, 
the one who joins us in the difficulty and redeems it and transforms it. Or your life erupts through death. We offer you ourselves, praying that you might take our brokenness and make it whole, praying that you might take our death and give us your life, that you might take our despair and give us joy, our anxiety and give us peace. We don't do this as people who have earned the right to be here, God. We do this as people who need your grace, who need your forgiveness. God, some of us, we are just, just, just this moment of prayer. Uh, we can't escape thoughts of shame or guilt. We can't escape thoughts of the ways that we have failed to, to live up to the life you created us for. Thank you, God, that you come to broken, messed up, sinful people. And instead of condemning us, you offer us grace and forgiveness and hope and new life. As we confess our sins to you, as we offer you ourselves, God, may we experience your grace today because of Jesus Christ. May we experience the, the transforming power of your Holy Spirit alive within us, changing us, guiding us into a new way of life that looks like Jesus that is filled with your grace, your love, your hope, your peace, your joy. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us right here where we are, transforming us by your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you have bread, you can take it now. We are reminded that Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night that he was uh, to be betrayed. He took that bread and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. You may take and eat the bread. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to his disciples and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Thank you again, God, for the unbelievable grace and love that you have shown to each one of us, that you would give your son, Jesus Christ, to us. And through his life and death and resurrection, that you would give your life to us, that you would fill us with the life of Christ by your Holy Spirit, do that today, we pray, God. Help us to experience right now, today, before we leave this service, as we leave this service, as we move into the rest of life. God, help us, help us not just to be leaving this behind. It's like, well, that was nice. You know, that was a nice message that Judy gave. And oh, those are some nice songs. Oh, I enjoyed that. But now back to the real world. God, help us instead to recognize that we are changed people who go into the world as people sent by you to be your agents of transformation, your agents of peace, your agents of grace, your agents of joy. Help us to go into the real world, the same real world that you entered into in Jesus Christ. Help us to go as your people, transformed by your love, carrying your light, your grace, your joy to people who desperately need to receive it. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, we hope that you will uh, continue with us the rest of this Advent season. That next Sunday is the, the last Sunday of Advent. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, we will have, uh, it's going to be different this year. We are not going to be able to gather everyone together for a candlelight Christmas Eve service. But we are going to have the musicians are going to come in. We're going to still sing Christmas carols together in the Christmas story. We're still going to light that last candle, that Christ candle that represents Christ's presence with us. And so uh, on Christmas Eve, I think 5 o'clock is when we usually do that service, uh, you'll be able to find us right here, same that channel, same, same link that you click to get here. Uh, we will be worshiping together next Sunday and then again on Christmas Eve, and we hope that you'll join us. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.